the best piece of advice is to is to have a strategy and and stick to it um and um you know whatever happens you've got to stick to your strategies welcome to the prosperity perspective by dml a conversation about how successful business owners invest their hard-earned money to preserve their wealth and what they might have done differently in hindsight Thank you for joining us today, guys. Today, we are joined by Simon Poppel and uh, excited for him to share a little bit about his experience. So without further ado, Simon, you want to uh, give us a brief introduction about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I started off in the city buying and selling companies, moved into property and uh, did well out of property, but was really interested in finding the next big thing, which uh, I believe was commodities. Uh, So got into commodities about 20 years ago and uh, did very well. Got asked to write uh, a newsletter by Money Week and also um, by Agora. You probably don't know who who Agora Financial are, but they're one of the world's largest uh, newsletter businesses. And um, yeah, basically put a lot of my money into into the sector. I've done very well and decided to do my own report and share what I'm doing with, with other people. Awesome. When you said you started to get into commodities and you saw that as the next big thing or, you know, something that was of interest, what made it of interest to you as you were kind of first jumping in 20 years ago, Simon? Well, as I say, I, I done very well out of property. And uh, someone once said to me, you know, ne- never love anything that can't love you back. And uh, if <laughs> I think property is you know, a pretty good example of that, you know, I, I, I didn't get out of it, but I, I took a large chunk of money out of it. Um, probably too early to be honest but uh i'm i'm pretty pleased I, I i did that now because i think commodities um you know could do phenomenally well and um i think people with property you need to remember you've got someone someone's got to pay the rent on on a, on a property uh so um whilst you know hopefully it'll have a good future i think commodities you know you can't print them let's remember that and um uh, they're used to make stuff. And uh, whilst I like gold and silver and PGMs, there's lots of other commodities as well that you know people should, should, should be thinking about. Can you define what a PGM is? Oh, it's precious metal group. So that's like palladium, platinum, uh, that sort of stuff. Uh, so it's uh, uh, funny enough, one of the companies that I, I told people about, Chalice, I told them about it, I think it was about 15.5 cents. And went to over 10 bucks and they found a lot of PGMs in a place called Julimar in, uh, in Australia. So, um, yeah, these things can be, you know, they can be quite exciting when they, uh, when they take off. Yeah. When they hit, when they effectively go from penny stock to, uh, you know, larger company, I'm sure it's got a nice payoff. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, that's one of the things I like it about, about the sector because you're, you're investing in something tangible and, um, uh, you obviously need to be well diversified, not just in terms of across different commodities, but even different countries. And um, uh, yeah, if, if you uh, if, if you strike lucky, um, the returns can literally be you know life changing. So let's talk a little bit about your journey. So it sounds like you started off buying and selling companies. I assume you did well there. Uh, that led to real estate. You started to invest in real estate. Right. So at what point, you know, you hit a point where, hey, I didn't have to worry about my roof over my head or anything like that. And you started to think as a strategic investor. Right. When you first hit that point, what were the things that you were evaluating and kind of where did you put your money at that time? 
Well, I, I, I think at that time I was probably more skewed towards property than I than I was commodities. But um, I think that you, it's important to to look at areas with a where you think there's a, with a huge future. And you know, at the time that I sort of made that transition, I think interest rates were probably about four percent, and I didn't think they could go much below that. Obviously, they did. But um, you know, I, I think a lot of uh, property is driven by not so much prices but affordability. And obviously, every time interest rates go down, properties become more affordable, and therefore prices go up. Um, so, commodities to me, um, I thought was a good balance against against property, and I, I wanted to uh, to diversify my investments. And um, you know, I love property, but I I, I think uh, it makes sense to to have a, a broad uh, spectrum of investments, a broad portfolio, and um, and therefore, if, if one sector takes a tumble, you're you know you don't have all your eggs in one basket. So it sounds like started in property, market dynamics were very beneficial for you, right? In terms of uh, low interest rates, right, more affordable, higher prices, uh, you know, tenants that can come in and afford it, given low interest rates, ability to borrow, right, things like that. And slowly, you kind of moved into commodities that could love you back. Um, and I'm guessing uh, a much bigger part of your portfolio today. So if someone is starting to look at, you know, uh, hey, commodities, I've heard it, you know, my investment advisor tells me they're buying gold and silver, right? How does that differ from kind of your strategy? Well, I mean, it's interesting enough, I've got... Um, uh, my financial advisor turned around to me and said, can I use you to advise me on commodities? Which I thought was quite sweet. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, what, I, what, I, what I like about them is, you know, they're, they're used in stuff. And, and if you look at uh, the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index, let's say over the last 25 years, you'll see it's, it's pretty attractive, I think, from a commodity point of view. And um, so, you know, trying to find an asset class that's not in a bubble and um, where you can really believe in it. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm not a techie. I'm not, uh, I don't understand bioscience, healthcare, things like that. I think it's much easier to understand commodities. And um, you know, as, as, as a newbie into the market, you can... Uh, not all commodity companies are the same. You know, they're split between explorers and producers, and producers tend to be lower risk. So, if you want to get into the market, you don't have to jump in with both feet. You can take a more, um, let's say, conservative view. And because I've been in the market a long time, I get asked by a lot of uh, people to contribute and to to what they're doing. I get asked to write companies up. Um, I invest in everything that I. I write up, so quite often people ask me to write them up, and I take a look, and I don't like them, so politely say no. But um, but yeah, no, I mean, I mean, it's uh, I think it's a really interesting sector for people to have some exposure to, and I think a lot of people have got literally zero exposure to it. And um, you know, it's interesting, you know, talking about property because you know, in the UK, a lot of people have made a lot of money on property, like I'm sure they have in the US, but 
in the UK, they're massively exposed to, to sterling, whereas in the US, they're probably massively exposed to the US dollar. And so one of the things I like about this strategy is it not only enables you to invest in other commodities, but also other currencies as well. So, you know, if, if you've got a portfolio that's got a lot of Canadian dollars, a lot of Australian dollars, um, you know, you, you, there's a bit of FX play there as well, which I think for any investor, um, you know, makes sense. FX being foreign exchange, right? Absolutely. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So with um, uh, what makes what you do different than what the typical financial advisor does? Uh, well, I, I don't think you can be an expert at everything, if I'm honest. You know, I, I think that, you know, financial advisors, um, you know, I don't uh, give people advice per se, but what I do is I tell people what I'm doing. And, you know, I, I've been investing in this market for a long time. And I think that, you know, because I put my own money into things, I think I sort of eat my own cooking kind of thing. And so, um, what I tend to do is I get people sort of following what I do because they're like, well, if Simon's putting his money into this company, then um, you know, he, what I do is I, I, I use a thing called the bridge system, which, which explains um, my rationale for what I'm doing. And uh, if people have got the similar risk appetite to me and um, you know, like the sort of analysis and research I've provided, then you know, they'll probably discuss it with their financial advisor and. Um, you know, decide they want to invest. So are all the commodities companies that you're investing in, are they all listed and traded on some major exchange? Or are you doing more kind of angel investment, finding these companies before they're publicly traded? No, I, they're, they're all traded on the TSX or TSXV, which are the Toronto stock exchanges, or the ASX, which is the Australian stock exchange. So they're all liquid in terms of, um, you know, you can buy and sell them. And um, but they vary enormously in size. I've got some which have got market values of probably less than 10 million US, and then I've got others that have got market values of 40, 50 million, uh, a billion, sorry, US. So, um, it's really everyone's different in terms of their appetite for risk, and you get some people who've got a lower appetite and they tend to uh, invest in, in the larger companies. And then you've got some who really like, um, you know, a lot of risk and their investments tend to be more skewed towards the, you know, the smaller companies. Um, are these companies typically dividend producing and then they're, you know, are they throwing off kind of an annuity type stream or is it more a, you know, long-term uh, cap gain type play? Uh, again, it, it varies enormously. I mean, the larger companies, yes, absolutely. You know, providing a dividend. And that's one of the things I love about these companies, because if you've got, let's say, a gold deposit, the chances are your processing is probably a, you know, a couple of miles, not, not, not much further than that, uh, away from it, perhaps various enormously, but let's say 10 miles away. Um, now, between getting the ore out of the ground and processing it, you probably created about 90% of the value in that sort of short supply chain. And, you know, these are companies paying dividends. And yes, some of them, uh, they vary about how much they've hedged against the gold price. But, um, you know, a lot of them, especially if the gold price is going up, you know, they're paying some very nice dividends. So, yes, the larger companies are paying dividends. 
the mid cap tend to be companies that are new to production. So they're probably not quite paying dividends yet because they're still paying off debt or, um, you know, they, they've got other things that they want to spend their cash on. And the Asenad explorers that, that are the highest risk, um, they're exploring, they're not even producing, so they're not even generating cash. So uh, dividends are a complete no-no for them. But again, you know, that, that's that's part of, you know, what I'm doing is I'm sort of saying to people, right, what level of risk do you want? I, do you just want dividend-paying companies or do you want some that aren't paying dividends or do you want a blend of both? So everyone is everyone's different and everyone's got their own kind of um, way of investing. So you mentioned the Canadian Stock Exchange and the Australian Stock Exchange. Those seem like minor exchanges relative to, you know, the U.S. or, you know, the, the Japanese, um, you know, Hong Kong. Or like, so why those two? Well, it's a very good point. I mean, I, I use a broker that can uh, has access to all the shares on, on those exchanges. But you do find, uh, because they are smaller exchanges, that some of the larger um, investment platforms don't provide access to all the ideas that I come up with. So uh, I tend to, you know, suggest people look at uh, platforms that perhaps can give them that that access. But I, I think the other thing is as as well is that um, uh, I think it's quite exciting to have companies that are, are sort of slightly left field because. Um, they don't have the world and their wives looking at them quite as closely as, as some of the ones on, you know, a, a top European or, you know, US exchange where, um, you know, they've been analysed to death. I think some of these these more uh, left field exchanges um, are, are perhaps, you know, they're, they're less um, under the microscope perhaps than, than um, you know, some other companies, so some other exchanges, sorry. Can you talk a little bit about the landscape of commodities and how Australia and Canada fit in and their companies, right? Because I think that probably factors into why they're listed on those exchanges. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, Australia and Canada are both uh, countries with huge amounts of natural resources. And so when someone finds uh, a natural resource through exploration or, or, you know, that's 99.9% of, of of, of 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 how they come into existence, but it makes sense to be listed on your on your own exchange initially, um, and then what you tend to find is as companies get larger, um, they tend to want listings elsewhere. So as a, as a company gets larger, it probably gets a listing on somewhere in the US or in Europe, um, and quite often they they get a listing where they're looking to raise money because the the money wants to be able to trade the shares on a, an exchange that they're more used to. Makes sense. What uh, What's the most exciting thing that you're investing in today or company or commodity that uh, kind of gets you the most excited about, uh, you know, either the return or learning more about, like what gets you jazzed in the morning? Yeah, well, it, it's a very kind of, uh, it, it's, it's a very interesting sector. And I, I invest in a broad range of commodities. And, you know, at the moment, lithium is like, red hot you know everyone is sort of you know i've got a a couple of lithium companies in my portfolio and um uh to be honest one one in particular has done literally nothing since i told people about it and it's up uh i told people that when it's about 4.3 
and I think it closed last night at about 15 and a half cents. So it's up four four times, or you know, you may put your money back and you made three times sort of thing. Um, but that's that's because the lithium price has gone crazy. Um, so you know, situations like that are really fascinating, and I think one of the big um, sort of value adds that I can help people with is, you know, I can, I, I had a, a client on earlier who's invested in it and they were very excited. And I said, well, why do you think the price has gone up? And he said, well, I don't know. It's fantastic, isn't it? I don't care. And I said, well, you should care because it's it's a lithium price. So the lithium price collapses. I'm not saying it will. I've got no idea. But, you know, look out down below because that share price will, will collapse. Um, so things like that are very different to, let's say, um, a chalice where, Chalice went from 15 and a half to 10 bucks, but they made a massive discovery at Julimar. So there was a bit of a backbone behind uh, you know, the, the share price appreciation in, in, in Chalice. And so I think that you know, that's one thing that's really key for, for investors. And, and the trouble is, is, I think what I do is, is, is probably more about psychology than anything else, because when shares take off, um, you know, investors they're over the moon. They're so happy. But then you have to say, well, why, why is the share taken off? And they're like, well, I don't care. But, but that they should care because uh, that's the difference between making a lot of money and, and not, as the case may be. Do you employ strategies like dollar cost averaging and other you know, investment type strategies to the commodity market? Or is it you know, you're more looking at the fundamentals of you know, what's driving the price and trying to understand, you know, the the company or the leadership and kind of where it's headed and, uh, you know, cashing out when it makes sense? No, sure. Look, I mean, I think it's impossible to time the market. I, I think, you know, it, it's more a case of time in the market, which is a, a quote that I know is used. But, but I think that's very true. And I think that um, you want to kind of invest over a period of time because it's a very volatile market. Uh, you can't expect to always get in at the lows um, and, and sell at the highs. But I think if you, one of the key things, to be honest, is not to be too greedy. And um, I think that's one of the problems a lot of people have where, you know, I was talking to a client earlier on who's, who's still in Chalice. And, you know, I said, well, you've been in there since, what, 15 and a half cents. And it's, I'm not sure what it is today, probably seven and a half bucks or something like that. But at what point do you want to sell, you know? And they're like, well, it could go up. And I said, well, yeah, but, you know, you've made 40, 50 times your money. Don't you want to sort of sell out? And, you know, they're kind of like, oh, you know, sometimes, you know, you just, greed greed can be a big obstacle to making money because, I mean, if, if people get out, sure, you know, the company could go to 20 bucks, but it could go to two cents as well. So, you know, you have to kind of um, uh, take your money off the table. And I, I think if, if you're, you talk about dollar cost averaging, but I think if you're fairly formulaic and you're very disciplined about if, if, if I sell a few companies, then that gives you, you know, you could sell, let's say, a forward in my setup. Um, let's, say, let's say it's gone up five times or 10 times, whatever it is. Let's say it's gone up five times. You sell that one and then you can buy... Um, a goalkeeper and three defenders and a midfielder, which are a much lower risk. And so now is the risky time as far as I'm concerned. And what I'm hoping to do is over the, over the years, um, 
get a few big wins like Chalice. And then you know, if I can do that, then you know what I'd like to do is is de-risk the portfolio and uh, you know, rather than go for these these small explorers, invest in more established companies uh, that you know perhaps pay a dividend. But the upside's not so not not so not so hairy, but neither is the downside. I was reading a book recently that talked about the psychology that we overvalue what we own and uh, undervalue uh, what we don't have. And so, you know, talking about like, hey, I have that ownership. And yeah, it's, it, it, it's so true. It's psychology is, um, and funnily enough, psychology is far more important when you're when you're making money. You know, when you're making money, it's sort of you've got a decision to make: do I sell or do I, you know, hang on? If you're in a loss-making position, the psychology is quite easy. You know, I'll just I'll just wait. You know, and so um, I think it's yeah, it's it's a very interesting game. And um, uh, I, 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 we had one stock that went from five and a half to 24 or something like that. And I said, uh, right, if you're an investor, you want to think about selling. But if you're a speculator, you may want to hang on. And everyone's like, oh, I'm a speculator. I'm going to hang on. And then it crashed down to about five. And they're like, oh, uh, I think I'm more of an investor. And I'm like, well, yeah, you kind of need to work out what you are. And um, But yeah, it, it, it's a very... Uh, it's it's a great business. It's a lot of fun, and uh, I think people find out quite a lot about themselves with it as well. Because you know, uh, if uh, if something is going right, then you do need to be careful about you know how greedy you are and what you do. What's the one piece of advice you would give to someone who's like, "Hey, Simon, this is interesting. You know, I want to do more about commodities. Where do I start? Where would you point them?" I think the best piece of advice is to is to have a strategy and, and stick to it. Um, and, um, you know, whatever happens, you've got to stick to your strategy. So if, if your strategy is to um, have loads of different stocks and, you know, if, if one does really well, you still have loads of different stocks. You know, so if your lithium goes through the roof, great, but you should still buy uranium and copper and, and other stuff. Um, and one of the reasons I do this is, is you know, in, there's a lovely saying, don't think you're smart when you're lucky. And, um, you know, in the last boom, uh, there's a lot of people, when, when commodities take off, it's probably a bit like the property market. You know, if when it starts to go, you could literally buy, you could buy an apartment, change the carpet, put a lick of paint on, sell it at 20% profit. and, and you think you're a property developer, but you're not. You you just bought at the right time, and commodities are similar. Uh, you know, you can buy if you buy the right company. And let's say you buy it at fifty cents and it goes up to two bucks. Um, that could well be the market, you know. And and you know, you you, you sold out at two bucks, but but someone else has bought a stock at a buck and it's gone to ten bucks. But what what tends to happen, and I, I think it's the same in property, is that people say, "Right, well, I'm going to allocate, you know, fifty grand, hundred grand to the to the sector," and then um, things go so well that in five years' time they find that rather than have a hundred grand in the sector, they've got a million in the sector or ten million in the sector. Now, that's great when things are going well, but you know, going back to that saying, "Never love anything that can't love you back," at some point. You know, the fun stops, 
And um, if the fund stops and you've got 10 million in and it's going south, then your losses are going to be far higher than, than what they were if you stuck to your initial strategy. And I think that's that's really important to actually, as I said at the outset, have a strategy and then when it's time to sell, sell. And uh, it doesn't matter if you haven't sold at the top, just sell. And then whenever the the merry-go-round does stop, you should be in a far better position than um, than people who just hung on and hung on and you know perhaps got a bit greedy. Greed's a tough one to fight, particularly in our it is. humorous <laughs> society. But um, if our listeners want to be able to connect back with you and maybe learn more and uh, you know connect directly, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, the best thing to do is if you go to my website www.brookvillecapital.com. On there, you can book a call and, um, you know, more than happy to, to have a chat with people. And, um, you know, it's not all about signing up for the report. They just want to have a chat about commodities, more than happy to, to have a chat with them and, uh, you know, hopefully, um, you know, help them out. Awesome. Well, appreciate the time today, Simon. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for your time. Thank you for joining us today on The Prosperity Perspective. If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, please head over to theprosperityperspective.com where you can hear from other successful business owners on their approach to investments. On our website, you'll be able to learn more about how DML Capital currently helps other business owners, like yourself, diversify their investments and grow their wealth. Take our short quiz to see if you're ready to take the next steps toward your financial success. 